Good morning, Centennial Covenant Church. As you can see, I am not standing in the worship center right now. I'm actually at home uh, and I'm pre-recording this from home and here's why. I woke up this morning and I had some uh, undeniable respiratory symptoms. I spent the earliest uh, amount of my time awake trying to pretend like they weren't there and telling myself, you know what, Carl, it's just fine. Ignore them and they'll go away. But you know what? They didn't go away because they are there. And so I chose not to go into church and preach live from the service because, as you know, this is not a normal time that we're living in. We're living in COVID-19 time. And so even though I hope that I don't have COVID, even though I hope my symptoms, uh, mild as they are, are from something else, I don't know. And so I've already signed up for a COVID test. I'm going to go and get that right after I finish recording this video. I'm going to let you guys know. I'm going to let you know, everybody know the moment I find out. But until I find out whether or not these symptoms that I have are COVID, until I find that out, I'm going to quarantine myself. I'm not going to be in preaching live. Instead, I'm preaching uh, recording on my phone. Uh, it's, it's brutal. It's unfortunate. This is my first Sunday back from sabbatical. I would have loved to have preached live uh, for the live stream, but instead I'm going to make this choice. And, and here's my offering to you. Um, you know, we're eagerly uh, uh, laying the groundwork for some form of an in-person gathering that we hope to do as quickly as possible. And we're eager to, to share our plans with you, staff, council, lots of people have been meeting and talking about how can we do this in a way that's safe and healthy. Um, and so I'm really excited to get to share that as soon as it's ready to share. But as you know, here's one of the things we all need in this season in order to stay safe and healthy as a large gathering community. We need all of us to make the safe choices for ourselves and others. We make these choices, not because somebody's forcing us, not because anybody's saying you can or can't do this. We make choices to quarantine if necessary, to wear masks, to do these things. We make these choices as an act of compassion for the most vulnerable. God cares about his people, and he cares about those of us who are healthy and capable of taking care of, acting compassionately to those who are vulnerable in any way. And so we're going to keep being a community that cares for those who are in need in any way we can. Like we've shared so many different times, like uh, God said to Moses in the book of Exodus, God hears the cry of hurting people and he responds with care and compassion. So all that to say, I'm preaching from home. Uh, I'm so excited to be back. Uh, I I'm super bummed that this is happening right now. I hope it's not COVID. I'll communicate it the moment I find out, but we're going to have a sermon. Uh, if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab it and open it up, grab the Bible app and turn to John chapter 10, where we've been for seven weeks now. We're going to spend a little bit of time there again this morning. And I want to read to you again, John chapter 10, verse 10. I will apologize. I had some pictures. I had some slides. I don't have any way of getting that in this video. No pictures or slides this morning. Um, but you guys can do it. Here we go. John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come, Jesus said, that they may have life and have it to the full, or have it 
abundantly. That's the passage we've been talking about for a while. And the sermon I want to preach this morning, I have titled, Steal, Kill, and Destroy. Uh, see, because the, the passage comes in two parts. We've been talking about the second half of the passage for quite a while. The, the, the sort of happier part. Jesus comes to give us abundant life, life to the full, overflowing, lavish, luxurious, joyous life. That's what Jesus comes to give us. But obviously that's the second part of the passage. And the first part says there's somebody else in the picture, somebody called the thief. And the thief does not come to give us life, but the thief comes in order to do three things, steal, kill, and destroy. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning is who is this thief? And what is it they're trying to do to work against God's abundant life overflowing in our lives? Now, you might be saying to yourself, I know I said this to myself, you might be saying, Carl, it's a little weird for you to come back from sabbatical, a time of rest, a time of rejuvenation, a time, as one email said to me, a time of revivification. It's weird to come back from all that and preach on steal, kill, and destroy. Well, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to share a little bit of an update from my sabbatical. And then after that, I'm going to dive a little deeper into John 10.10. We're also, uh, just as a heads up, we're also going to jump over into Romans 8 a little later on. So if you're the kind of person that likes to, you know, have your finger ready in Romans 8, you can do that now. Uh, but by the time we get through John 10 and Romans 8, after I share, uh, I think you're going to see why I titled the sermon this way. Uh, so first of all, just a little, a little personal update. Uh, six weeks of sabbatical, and it was awesome. It was a gift to me. It was a gift to the family, and I undoubtedly have come back renewed with uh, uh, some refreshed excitement and energy for the season ahead, both for me personally in the ministry God has called me to, but obviously I don't minister in isolation. Also for the uh, season ahead that God is calling us as a church, I'm excited. I'm excited for what God is already doing in our midst, and I'm excited for where God is going to keep leading us. I want to offer three observations, three kind of reflections that I made during uh, my sabbatical. So first of all, it's place. My first reflection is that place matters. We spent a big chunk of uh, these six weeks not at home. We uh, traveled to some pretty beautiful and remote places out in the deserts of Utah, uh, up in the Grand Tetons and Teton Valley, just a gorgeous, uh, pretty remote place. And then up uh, just outside Yellowstone National Park, deep in the forest up there. And one of the things I noticed was this, uh, even when I was at home during sabbatical and as restful and as wonderful as it was, there's something about being in uh, my home. There's something about being in the physical places that are my normal places in life that are part of the normal routines, the normal rhythms, the normal habits. There's something about being in those places that keeps me a little tied to that normal routine. And what I particularly noticed was when I was out in the desert of Utah, and there was just, it was gorgeous. I mean, 360 degree mountain peaks around us. We were way out in the middle of nowhere, staying at this cozy little house. And I'd sit out on the deck and watch the sunset at night uh, or, or sitting in Teton Valley and sitting out on the deck and seeing the sunset behind the Tetons, which was gorgeous. There's something about getting to a different place, about stepping out of the normal that makes it a little easier to find that rest and refreshment that we need. 
So one of the first things I learned on sabbatical was that place matters. And my encouragement to you would be, even if it's inside the rhythms of your daily life, do you find places to step out and into sacred or special or somehow different places in order to purposefully seek rest? I got to do that in my life. I know that Nikki preached on Sabbath and I'm guessing she touched on this a little bit in that theme, but place matters. And if we want to find rest, it's good to find restful places. And I found some restful places on sabbatical. Uh, second, reflection. Uh, the main book that I engaged with, it turned out kind of being like a journal exercise and a long engagement. It was a book called Resilient Ministry. And they talked about five themes that they found in their research that healthy pastors with a long tenure of ministry, five themes that those pastors have all uh, uh, seen show up in their lives. And I'm not going to dive into the five themes, but I will say that in every single one of the themes, the authors noted how healthy pastors identified creating space for reflection as critical for ongoing health. Whether it's reflection on your relationships with others, marriage, family, friends, whether it's reflection on your personal relationship with God, there is a need to create space for reflection in order to stay healthy in ministry and in all of our lives. And so I spent a lot of time in my journal. I spent a lot of time in prayer. I spent a lot of time simply sitting in silence and enjoying reflection. Let me ask you, do you intentionally pause for reflection in your life? I was blessed by the gift of some extended reflection during sabbatical. And I hope that we can find rhythms of reflection in our lives. I'm going to pause there and I'm going to tell you my third observation a little later. See, because those two things that I just talked about, finding a space, kind of getting away, sacred spaces to break out of the rhythm, it could be a good. And when you do that, purposefully reflecting so as to connect with God and, and, and learn about what's going on around you, those to me, those two things speak of abundant Life. Those two things speak of what Jesus longs to give us, to give us the fullness of life where his life is in our life overflowing. But I also made some observations about the work of the thief who has come not to give us life. And so uh, I'd, I'd invite you uh, to turn again now back to John 10.10. 10. The thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy let me for a minute just kind of remind us of the context of this passage. Jesus, he's talking right now to some Pharisees. And you may know this. Jesus and the Pharisees, they don't get along very well in the Gospels. And Jesus actually talks about sheep and shepherds and sheep pens and thieves. And he talks about it for quite a while before he gets to this verse, John 10. 10. So let me just set the scene. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And he says that there are some sheep. Now, in case you hadn't noticed, you and I are the sheep. The sheep represent God's people. Now, sheep unfortunately are very smelly, so it could be that Jesus is trying to tell you and tell me to take a shower. Or maybe if there's any kids watching, especially like 10-year-old boys, I have 10-year-old boys, maybe Jesus is saying 10-year-old boys, take a shower, right? I digress. That's not really the point. Jesus says that there's a sheep. And the sheep are in a sheep pen, because that's where sheep go. And then Jesus brings up the two other characters. The first character 
is the good shepherd. In this instance, the good shepherd will be played by a beaver puppet that Esther made for a puppet show at school. Jesus says, the good shepherd enters by the gate. Interestingly, later Jesus says that he is the gate and he's the shepherd who enters by the gate. It's a little confusing, but it's okay. So the good shepherd comes into the pen by the gate and the sheep know his voice and have no reason to fear him. The shepherd is good. The shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. So get this, the shepherd comes for the sheep. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. However, there's another character, the thief. And the thief does not come in through the gate. Rather, the thief climbs in over the fence. And climbing in over the fence is simply meant to illustrate that that is not what you're supposed to do. And because they climb in over the fence instead of going through the gate, they are not trusted by the sheep. The sheep should fear the thief and run away because the thief is not a safe person. Okay, all of that silly illustration to get this picture in your mind. If you're a sheep, you're unfortunately a, a bit of a dumb animal and you need protecting, you need caring, you need to be cared for. And you have to recognize as a sheep that there are people who are going to care for you and help you and provide for you and give you life. And there are others who might bring ruin and destruction. Jesus, in this illustration, is accusing the Pharisees of being the thief. Now, here's the thing about the Pharisees. They laid a heavy burden of legalism on God's people. And we know, we've learned from experience, we've learned from history, we've learned from the teaching of Jesus in Scripture, we know that legalism does not bring life, but it just drains it from us. But it actually goes a little further, because even though the Pharisees are no longer a very strong you know, reality in any of our lives, I don't personally know any Pharisees, the spirit of the Pharisees, the spirit of taking something good and twisting it into something bad or even destructive, that spirit is still present and it lives on, sometimes in our own hearts, sometimes in the lives or in the voices of people around us. And Jesus uses three words to describe the work of the thief. These three words are how you can identify the work of the thief, whether it be the Pharisees, whether it be a toxic relationship within your life, whether it be a broken attitude or belief you hold in your own life. There's three words Jesus describes, uses to describe the work of the thief. The thief comes to steal. The word there for steal is simply, uh, uh, it just means steal. It's klepto. It's where we get the word kleptomania. And as you know, stealing Thievery, taking what isn't yours, that is harmful to self and to relationships. I remember when I was a boy, um, I actually stole a box of baseball cards once from Kmart. And I remember when I was found out by my mom, the guilt I felt for doing what is wrong. Stealing is bad. It's wrong. The thief comes to steal the life from the sheep. The second word is kill. And I really love this word. The, the Greek word is thuso. And there's a little bit of a word play going on in here. Thuso is the word used when the ancient Jews would sacrifice an animal at the temple. They would take something of their life and give it sacrificially to God in order to strengthen their relationship with God. 
Well, the word that, that in Greek to describe a sacrifice to worship God is thuso. And so Jesus here is doing a little bit of play on words. When you take something meant for good, a sacrifice for God, and it gets twisted to evil, that sacrifice turns instead into a slaughter. And that's what the thief does. The thief comes to twist good things in our lives and take away what is meant for good by God and twist it into something evil and destructive. And that's indeed the third word in the passage, destroy. I can't help but think of all the images coming out of Beirut, Lebanon right now. And that tragedy, that horror of the bomb exploding in the port there, causing the loss of thousands of lives, the destruction of a huge amount of property, not to mention uh, uh, wreaking great economic havoc on an already fragile economic environment. Destruction, the utter and complete uh, uh, laying to waste, is a tragic reality in our world. And we know for sure that wherever we see destruction, that is not God at work. God has come for us to give us life, but rather that's the work of the thief. That's the work of the enemy. And so we've got this contrast, right? We've been talking for a number of weeks about the abundant life of God, the joy it brings, the freedom it brings, the abundance it brings, and that joy of new life is being contrasted with the work of the thief, which is destructive and draining and, uh, and, and removes the life we so long to have. And so that comes to my third reflection on sabbatical. See, it was restful, it was rejuvenating, and the whole thing was great. But you know what will happen when you create space to get away? You know what will happen when you create space to connect with God and seek his abundant life? You know what will happen? The work of the thief will show up even more powerfully. And here's how I experienced that. See, there was this thought that kept coming to my head. I'd be sitting on the back deck in Utah. I'd be walking a beautiful trail in the Tetons. I'd be looking at a waterfall or seeing a buffalo, uh, or even we got to see a grizzly bear once. It was awesome. And I had this thought that kept coming back to mind, right? I'm in the middle of rest and refreshment. I'm in the middle of unplugging. I'm in the middle of being actively revived. I think I'm in the middle of receiving God's abundant life. And at that very moment, I would find myself thinking, Carl, you're not sabbaticaling hard enough. Carl, you're not resting well enough. Carl, your rest isn't good enough. It's like I had this nagging voice of my insufficiency even in a season when I'm supposed to be just resting and putting aside burdens and expectation, even in that season, I had this voice of insufficiency saying, Carl, you're not doing it well enough. Well, as much as I like to push those voices away because they're not pleasant to listen to, I decided, you know what, I'm really, I'm going to lean in and I'm going to pay attention. Where is this voice coming from? Why do I have this feeling of insufficiency even during my sabbatical? And what I pretty quickly realized particularly when I was journaling. I'm a journaler. Um, but some of you might realize these things in conversation with a friend, maybe a spouse, maybe in verbal prayer with God. I don't know how you reflect or process best, but uh, we need to create space to do it. And what I realized, what I kind of admitted to myself, this voice telling me I'm insufficient 
I realized it's actually with me a lot more frequently than I have admitted to myself. I realized that this voice on sabbatical saying, Carl, you're not resting well enough. You're not doing it well enough. It was actually the same voice that has showed up in my life, both historically in many different places, but also in the present, even in the past few years. I won't say it's a constant voice, but it certainly shows up often enough that the moment I named it and acknowledged it, I saw how common and frequent it was. What I realized was that the thief in my life has been whispering to me that I am insufficient. Have you guys ever struggled with an internal sense of insufficiency? I know some of you have. I mean, I've talked to some of you about this, and I know that this internal sense is, is common. It can show up in so many different ways. It can show up because somebody we know and trust and care for, maybe early on in life, spoke a harsh word, and we've let ourselves believe it for a long time. It can come because maybe in some critical moment, we, we put ourselves out there. We, we laid who we are out there and maybe, we, you know, maybe it didn't go according to plan or, or the, you know, the, the project fell apart. And we've, since that moment, we've believed that because that one thing didn't go well, we are not good enough. We can believe these things in so many different ways. Maybe for you, it's not a sense of insufficiency. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a consuming fear and worry, a lack of safety or security. Maybe for you, it's, it's the fear of being wrong. You, know, like you just need to be right all the time, and it's the fear of being wrong. I don't know what it is, but I was struck by how powerfully my time of rest also created space for the work of the thief to become even more prominent, and I had to make a choice. As I'm seeking God's abundant life, am I willing to stop pushing aside or pretending or ignoring the thief isn't there? Because the more I ignore it, the more that voice stays present in my mind, even if I pretend like it's not there. Or am I willing to acknowledge just how strong that voice actually is? Am I willing to acknowledge it to myself? Am I willing to acknowledge it to God? Am I willing to acknowledge it to others? Not to seek pity, not to seek like some poor me thing, but because when we bring things into the light, <clears throat> that takes away their power. When I acknowledge this, <clears throat> there's two things that came to mind. First, I just kept thinking about this image of the sheep and that the sheep has both the good shepherd and the thief. And the work of the good shepherd and the thief are both present at the same time in life. But here's the critical difference. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but the shepherd comes to lay down his life for the sheep. And, and that word right there, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. That word kept resonating in my mind, for the sheep. I, I laid out my life for the sheep so that they may have abundant life. Have you ever heard yourself say this? Maybe in a moment of insufficiency, maybe in a moment of weakness, maybe in a moment of struggle. Have you ever heard yourself say, you know what? The whole world is against me. Or it feels like every, everything is against me. It feels like the world is crumbling down on top. It feels like I'm all on my own. I know when I give in to the voice of insufficiency. 
I let myself believe that I'm on my own and the whole world is against me. That's the, that's the kind of some of the darkest places it will go. Well, let me speak this reminder. The whole world is not against you. Yes, all the thieves of the world, all the, there's plenty in this world that's trying to take the life from you and drain it. But God came to earth in the form of Jesus. This is the basis of the gospel because God is for you. How much is God for you? How much are you worth for God? So much that God himself in human form, Jesus Christ gave his own life for you. The apostle Paul wrote about the same thing. It's just a brilliant, brilliant verse that I want to remind you of. I hope these are familiar words. I hope you've heard them before, but the apostle Paul said in Romans chapter eight, starting in verse 31, Paul said, if God is for us, who can be against us, right? When, when you and God are working in the same direction, when God is moving with you in your life, then what force could possibly come against you? I was trying to think how to illustrate the power of God being for you. I think of, uh, you know, maybe the illustrations are silly. I don't know. I think of LeBron James, the greatest basketball player maybe of all time. And when he joined the Miami Heat, they won two national titles back to back. Or think of Alexander Hamilton. If you've been geeking out on Alexander Hamilton like me, Alexander Hamilton had Washington on his side. And because George Washington was on his side, he rose in prominence in so many ways. I mean, maybe those illustrations help, but here's the thing. We know that those actually fall dramatically short because we're not talking about sports or politics here. We're talking about the most deep inner realities of our life. We're talking about the difference between life and destruction. And indeed, those illustrations fall short because Paul gives us the ultimate illustration just a little later on. This is, again, Romans chapter 8, verse, verse 38. Paul says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Like me, do you have a sense of insufficiency that nags you sometime? Do you ever feel like the whole world is against you? Do you feel like the abundant life of God is being stolen or killed or destroyed from your life? Then maybe with Paul, you need to say, I am convinced. Because I know that if God is for me, who can be against me? Because I know that if God is for me, nothing can separate me from his love. And even though, yes, even though finding a sacred space, finding a, uh, the right space to get away and, and, and connect purposefully with God, you know, having to pause and reflect, the reason those are meaningful is not because we have to go somewhere else in order for God's love to be here. No, 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 no. Jesus made it clear. The kingdom of God is near. It is at hand. It is in our midst. We don't have to go anywhere for God's loving presence to be right here. All we need to do is create the space that we can acknowledge that God's loving presence is already right here and he is sufficient for us. 
So let me ask you one more time. On my sabbatical, when I found the joy of rest, I also encountered the work of the thief, trying to steal the abundant life from me. And I needed to acknowledge that God is for me. And I needed to remind myself that not only is God for me, but God's loving presence is already right here with me. And that is what I need. Not to listen to the voice of the thief. But second, I did need to engage in one more ancient tradition of the Christian faith, a holy practice called confession. Sometimes we think of confession as admitting I did something wrong. And that's huge, and that's important, and that's good. In this case, I think of confession as acknowledging that I need help from God. See, here's the really twisted thing about when I struggle with inner senses of insufficiency. When I feel like I'm insufficient, my reaction is to try to prove my self-sufficiency. But the fact is, the more I try to prove my self-sufficiency, the more I try to prove that I can do it on my own, I have it on my own, I've got everything it takes on my own, my work of self-sufficiency only increases the nagging fear of insufficiency. Because if I have to be self-sufficient, then I might be insufficient. And the strange upside-down kingdom of God cure for that insufficiency is not making myself better, but rather it's confessing that in fact I need God and his sufficiency. I don't have to be sufficient. I don't have to be good enough. I don't have to perform. I don't have to do it right or well enough or up to any standard. All I need is for God to be sufficient to me. And what that requires is that I confess I can't do it on my own. I don't have what it takes on my own, but the love of God through Jesus Christ, who is for me, God's love is sufficient for me. So here's my invitation to you. Would you acknowledge that you are a sheep? Would you acknowledge that as a sheep in the pen, you cannot do what it takes to get the abundant life of God all on your own, no matter what form it takes. All of the joyful and good things that we've been talking about over these weeks, the way we find that abundant life is not by having it ourselves, but by recognizing that the God who is for us is sufficient so that he can put his life in you. The worship team is going to come back up and lead you in a response song. Uh, we're going to spend some time in prayer, and here's my invitation. As you think about, as you think about all that we've learned about abundant life, would you take the daring step of acknowledging, just be honest, of acknowledging the work of the thief in your life? What is the thief doing? How is the thief stealing or killing or destroying in your life? Would you take that bold step of acknowledging that? Confessing it to yourself, to God and to some trusted people in your life so that finally you can stop trying to solve it yourself and start letting the work of Christ, who is for you, put his abundant life in you. It's so good to be back. Grace and peace.